Today we're going to talk about God's provision. How does God provide? What is God, what is God really signing up for when, when he provides? Um, we can trust God with what we need because God's promised to provide. Our church is called Promise Church. It seems fitting that we actually talk about being invited into God's promises. And one of, the, one of these is God's provision. Basic testimony for two seconds. You're going to hear more of it in the sermon. God has provided for my needs. That's a true statement, and I thank God for that. God has provided for my needs. <clears throat> I was supposed to bring a water up here, and I forgot to. Pastor Danielle, do you mind grabbing me a water? Thank you. Otherwise, it's going to sound like I'm crying through the whole sermon, and I'm not. I'm really excited. So the promise of God is Yahweh Yaira. Okay, maybe you won't recognize that because if you've been around the church for 20 years, you would know the term Jehovah Jireh. Well, this is simply um, Hebrew that it was written in became a dead spoken language. And so people didn't know how to enunciate the words properly. And so we went Jehovah Jireh because we interpreted a dot in the Hebrew as of their vowels, and we interpret it that it sounds a certain way, and we've learned later it doesn't. So now it's Yahweh Yaira. Look at that, completely trivial, totally trivial, but it's, uh, it's interesting. So God is my provider. Has God um, promised to provide for you? And what does it mean to North American Christians, God is my provider, who aren't a part of the land of Israel. We, the, the original God my provider is all tied to Israel, and we are not part of Israel. We're part of a new covenant. We're part of a new way that God is working through the person of Jesus. So how does God my provider land in North America? Specifically, our materialistic North American culture. So let's go a little bit the history of the, of the, of the promise. Um, Genesis 22, 7 to 8. If you have your Bibles with you or you, you version or whatever, you can pull it up there. It's also going to be on the screen. Genesis 22, 7 to 8. Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, and he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. The context of this story is God has given Abraham a promise. You're going to be the father of many nations, but Abraham is old and doesn't have a child and so that's kind of confusing. So eventually, God gives Abraham Isaac and turns around and says the dumbest thing in the entire world, hey, Abraham, I know I just took years to give you Isaac, and you're old, so why don't you go up onto this mountain and kill him as a sacrifice to me? What? Okay. Sure, God. Whatever you say. The book of Hebrews actually says that Abraham believed God could raise him from the dead. 
well, you got to be doing something in your mind to make that work. You know, so great. So Abram goes up the mountain, and Isaac's not stupid. He's like, yeah, you told me we're coming to do a sacrifice. I'm carrying all this wood, and there's nothing here to sacrifice. God will provide for himself. Abraham is sure of it, but he has no clue how. Have you ever been in that place? Where you're like, I'm pretty sure God's going to provide, but I don't know how this is going to work. Like, I have no clue whatsoever. This is not okay. Sure, God, I'll just go up the mountain. Okay. On Slack, I want to hear from you. Um, if, if I can get uh, attention on Slack and somebody can notify that. Um, what does God need to provide for you? What does God need to provide for you? And, and if you can hit that on Slack, that would be great. I'd love to hear from you. What does God need to provide for you? The Israelite people who were formed were formed in the Exodus. Whole group of Semites. We hear the term anti-Semitic, and we think immediately Jewish, right? That's, that's what we think. But if we go back to ancient Near Eastern history, the Semitic people are the people that lived in the region immediately to the east of the Mediterranean. So it goes all the way up through what's called the Fertile Crescent. Mesopotamia comes all the way down. And here these people, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the, the, the Amorites, um, later on the Philistines, we have all these people. These are the Semites. They're the Semitic people. And these people had experienced a great famine, and they went down to Egypt. And they lived in the land of Goshen, which was a great place for farming and pasture. Low-lying land, it was farming and pasture. And so these people were from different tribes and, and what would, we would think of as nations. They were from different tribes, nations, maybe even had slightly different dialects. And they all get crammed together. There's about two million of them living in the land of Goshen. And God says to them, you're going to come out from there. And that's the story of Moses in the Exodus. And those people become Israel. Those people become the land of Israel. They're the people that go through this. So God has, I didn't say parasites. <laughs> I said, I didn't. I said, par. <laughs> wow. I'm just not going to touch that one. <laughs> so um, they were, they're in pursuit of a promise. God says, I'm going to provide for you the land that, that, you had to, that you left, the land that I've promised Abraham. I'm going, to I'm going to provide. They're in pursuit of the promise. So... This land is the most contested land in human history, and that is because to its west is desert. You just don't go through that desert. That is, that is a way to lose your army. To the south 
is, is the, what we now have as the Panama Canal, I believe. Not Panama. No, the other one, Suez Canal. Thank you, sorry. See, that's what messes me up. And so we've got this little canal, and, and there, is a, there is a track of land. So Egypt's armies would, would be right here, and the way to get up into Mesopotamia as a great empire is to go through what became Israel. Israel became the choke point for five, four continents. Asia's coming in. Europe. Africa. You've got all this peace happening. The north is coming down. All of them right here. This is the land that God has promised, most contested land in human history. God has set apart for himself a people group that he's going to reveal himself to and reveal the whole world with. For them to be able to be those people and to play a part in history, God needed to be their provider. Jehovah Jireh. God has set his people apart from the other nations. He said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to clear out your enemies that come against you. I'm going to situate you in the land. I promise to give your fathers. God will provide. And it's based on the provision that God showed to Abraham on the mountain with his son. So let's go back to the mountain. A couple of verses later, Genesis 22, 13 to 14. Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, there was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. God provided something far greater. When recounting the faith of the patriarchs and those who have gone before us, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, 39 to 40, and all these things were commended, and all these things, oh, sorry, and all these, though they were commended by their faith, they did not receive the fullness of what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, which means God has promised something even greater than just land. God has promised something greater than just land, and we can start to work with it. So God has more to provide. So what does God need to provide for you? What do you need God to provide for you? Something I need God to provide for me is a meaningful, consistent job that I love. What does God need to provide for you? Can the Lord provide me a trip somewhere away from the snow? Uh, you didn't qualify what year, when. Sure he can. <laughs> Enough years to see all of my children and grandchildren into the kingdom of God. Peace in my mind and body and other parts of my life. You see how Slack is just working on developing this conversation. We need these things. This is what we look to God to provide. God provides God provides himself. God will live with us and walk among us and he will be our God and we will be his people and the city we live in will not lack for anything. God will provide for himself. There is a vision and a dream that God is going to say, all of my people will come and will live in peace and harmony. God will provide for for us, and God has provided himself. But today, what can I expect from God?
So I'm going to take from, I'm going to break from Slack for a moment, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my experience and God's provision. I've been running this, I've been running this church for four and a half years since it founded, and I don't think I've told a lot of my story. So I'm going to tell a little bit of my story today. I was born into a family in financial crisis in Oak Ridges. And we did not have anything. We lived in a converted cottage that was way too small for us. When I was seven years old, the cottage caught fire. And uh, that was crazy. They decided it would be a good idea to put me into my grandparents' basement right beside the fire so I could sleep right after my house burned down and I saw it burning. It was a bad idea to do to a kid. But we had miracles of provision. God would provide for us. I remember sitting down one day, and there's literally nothing on the plates. There's water in our cups. There was nothing in the fridge, not even ketchup. And, and we're sitting for dinner, and my dad said, let's say grace. And, and he prays, and he said, God, I thank you that you provide for our every need. And I'm like trying not to laugh in my anger. Because God is not providing. What can I expect from God? No jokes, door. Somebody knocks at the door and says, we were on Young Street driving by, and God told us that we needed to stop by your house and drop off dinner, and I don't know why. Oh, well, there's dinner. Simple, simple, but faith-building. We went deep into poverty. It, was, it wasn't sustainable. Even where we were, we lost the house, went deep into poverty. My, my father declared bankruptcy more than I have ever in playing Monopoly because I refuse to play Devin now. <laughs> and we went deep into the faith movement. Whew. So we're in the 80s, early 90s, and the faith movement is becoming this massive thing. And the faith movement, if, if you don't know, is this idea that if you name it, and claim it that God is going to give you what you said. Jesus said that if you ask anything in my name, then I will give it to you. And so they use that verse to say, if you ask for God for anything, then God will <clears throat> manifest it and give it to you. And it, so we had pictures of dream houses on the fridge. We had we had selected out, at that point in my life, I liked BMWs. But now I like Audi. But we had, we had an Audi on the fridge. Or sorry, we had a BMW on the fridge. My dad was very, very confident that he was going to be able to give me a, a BMW. And, and God was going to provide for us this beautiful castle of a house, and everything was just going to come in. There were false promises, false implications. You know, I learned that, that when you say, if you ask for anything in my name, you're actually asking for the exact thing that Jesus would have asked for. In my name. You're asking for what Jesus would have asked for. When we end our prayers and say, in Jesus' name, amen, we are asserting that our prayer is exactly what Jesus would have prayed. Oh, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so we started praying, and you know, okay, well, 
That didn't work really well. So we lived in government-subsidized housing. My dad didn't work reliably. Kept on asking God to provide for him. I think for the grace of the children, we had just enough. I got a job at 14 to help pay the bills. By the time I was 18, my brother and I were paying the bills. This is not what I'd been taught about God provides. Something was missing. I expected God to provide comfort, wealth, and ease and material goods because of my church experience. Comfort, wealth, and ease. This is what God gives. <laughs> Whoops. Not so much. That wasn't, that wasn't my experience. I also didn't really believe that God helps those who help themselves because that's Benjamin Franklin, not the Bible. So what did I learn? God provides for his mission, not my preferences. All right. I had to take a humility pill. God provides for his mission, not my preferences. At 18 years old, actually, I want to, before I tell that part, someone said, when we say in Jesus' name, we're asserting that this is what Jesus would have prayed for. Right, right, sorry, I just repeated myself. Someone also says, um, someone says I beat him in 20 minutes for all you who think that it was, (laughs) that it takes forever. Love the smirk on Devin's face. If you really have faith in God, which must include having faith in his plans and his vision, would you be asking him for frivolous things? It's a great question. Some of us do. God provides for his mission, not for my preferences. At 18 years old, I was telling, I was telling this to members, members of our church. I went to Brazil, and I, and I saw Flavela, Flavela, sorry. The Portuguese in this room is going to kill me for that. <laughs> um, and, and, and what it is, is, is this is the community on the rural outskirts in Sao Paulo, Brazil, um, so when I saw, and, and these, these houses are built up into the mountains, and they're, they're, they're hardly houses. I was there in the mid-90s. They're hardly houses, and they were like lean-tos at some points, and, and, and it was just, it was, it was poverty. And I went as a child who had been fighting poverty my whole life, and I realized, oh, Wow, I'm privileged. Shoot, okay. It was the first time that what we call today, you know, it was a privilege check, and I was like, whoa. And I realized my expectations, what can I expect for God to provide for me? I went home way more grateful. Way more grateful. What can I expect for God to provide for me? God provides for his mission, not my preferences. My subsidized three-story townhomes started looking more like a mansion than I had ever imagined. My dad's 15-year-old car that was hardly working and put together looked more like provision than I'd ever imagined. So I got married. Huh. Best in my life, I got married, and I married up. I married up because she is way smarter than me, she is, she is way more organized than I am. She also is way more red-faced right now than I am. 
And I, I love my wife, but, and I got married. But when we got married, we had maybe a combined income of $60,000 a year, which is good. And we went to purchase a house. And that was before houses were stupid. <laughs> so we went to purchase a house, and we per- go to purchase a house in Newmarket, because I work in Newmarket, and Val works in Aurelia. So, of course, we're going to purchase a house in Newmarket. I told you I married up. She's also more graceful than I am. <laughs> so we found a house. It's, it was, it's on Jacaranda. If you know Newmarket, it's on Jacaranda, an old part of town. A beautiful little bungalow. And it's $315,000. I looked on MLS. It actually just sold recently for $1.2 million. So it was $315,000. Money's scary to us. But... Val's really good with money, and so she assured us we could afford it. Started down the road talking, my parents are going to live in the basement, everything is going to be good, we're going to do well, and uh, we start talking down the road, and, and I just felt God say, no, 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 that's not for you. So Val goes, okay, I'm married to a, to a pastor, we have to follow what God says, this is ridiculous, but we stop, it sells two days later to somebody else. You don't understand. This house was perfect for us. It had a walkout basement for my parents to live in. It had, it had a 200-foot backyard that backed onto the forest, a mature forest with a park on the other side. God was providing, and we said, nope. So in obedience to God, I stepped away from this obvious point of provision, stepped away from it, and went, no. And people at my church, they were like, okay, well, you're... It's okay. And this got me. God has a bigger and better house for you. Wait, what? No, no, God's got a bigger and better house for you. That one wasn't good enough. No, no, let me tell you, that house was good enough. That was a beautiful neighborhood. That's a lovely place. I love the place. That house was good enough. No, no, God's got a bigger and better house for you. What if he doesn't? Would I still follow him? What if he doesn't have a bigger and better place? Little did I know that God was not wanting Val and I to situate in Newmarket. I had no idea. We didn't know what God was doing. God doesn't value what I value. The Bible says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. My ways are not your ways. God doesn't value what I value. It's time for me to adjust my value system to be submitted to God's value system. I need to be able to take the pill of humility and say, God, I'm going to follow you whether you move me into into a place of, of lack I have learned what it means to be content. God doesn't value what I value. When I was younger, my dad would always say, God would provide. But he always had this expectation that God would provide whatever he wanted. No, God provides and will supply for his mission. God's on a mission. God is doing it. And when we get in line with God's mission, yes, God provides for what we need, but this is about God's mission. 
not about my comfort. We can expect God to provide for his mission, not my expectations. So open question for you today on Slack. What do you value today that God doesn't value the same way? I didn't say what is bad that you value. But what do you value that God might not value the exact same way? And I think at times when we talk about what we can expect from God, we actually need to be honest and we need to say, God, there are some things that I value that are legitimate that you might not value the exact same way as I do. Don't worry, God will get you a bigger and better house. No, God just moved us to a smaller property stamp in a house here in Bradford 10 years before I even had the thought that I was going to plant a church. I didn't get a 200-foot backyard. A small little stamp of land. So it, is, was it bad for me to want this big lot? No. Well, that's not bad. God doesn't value what I value, and so what, what the call is, is to say, God, how can I get in line with what you value? When we speak of provision, we often think of just money, but God wants to provide for all of his mission. It's about your whole life, your emotional needs. God wants to provide for those things because they will allow you to step into his mission. Your physical needs, God will provide for you so that you can step into his mission. It's linked to his mission. Your spiritual needs, your intellectual needs. I want us as a church to ensure our theology is around the promise of God is true. You can expect God to provide for his mission. It's provision. It is for the vision. Right? We've got this piece where it's God will provide. This is why people say you can't outgive God. If you want God's provision in your life, get in step with God's mission. If you found, because if you found God's mission, you can give all you want to it. And God will provide for both you and the mission. You can give your life to it. Literally. We understood that in the first century of Christianity. You can give your life for it. So what do you value that God might not value? Somebody wrote, safety. Safety is a good thing, but God doesn't value it in the same way. You can give your life for it because you're secure eternally. So we look at safety and go, oh, I value safety right now. Here it is. And God goes, right, but you're fully secure eternally. Oh, right. Safety is a good one. Personal time. Someone else said time. I value professional aspirations. I value relationships. I'm pretty sure that both Jesus and I are value cruise. Both Jesus and I value cruising. Yeah, you do. In Jesus' name, right? God doesn't provide what you want. Oh, because you'll always want more. Whoa. That came from an 11-year-old. 
That came from my 11-year-old. <laughs> God doesn't provide what you want because you will always want more. Shoot. See, now we have the context for us to look at this verse. Philippians 4, 14 to 21. It's the most overused verse about God's provision. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know yourself that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me to help for my needs once again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Oh, we like to take the last verse and go, see, my God, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's in the context of these people giving everything they've got for the mission. And Paul's response is, yes, God is going to supply for you. Of course. The challenge here is for us to allow God to define our needs. Will God define what your needs are? I don't need the beautiful lot that I discovered. God provided for the mission that he's sending us on. So what can I expect from God? You can expect to be, you can expect God to first define your needs by his mission. Let God define your needs. And then we can allow God to provide for the needs that he defined by providing for his mission. This is where we, we humbly allow God and we say, God, you define my needs. Whew. Might not get the property I wanted, but I will get everything I need. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would reveal to us your mission and where we're involved in it. I pray it would capture our hearts and that we would be people who would be willing to give it all. I know that in this room it is full of people who are willing to give it all. I see it in our volunteer percentages where 87% of the people that regularly attend our church have a volunteer role in this church, and I am so blessed. We are blessed. But God, I just, I, Violet, thank you for that. I, I just continually ask that you would guide us into your mission, and as we participate in your mission, like what you did with Israel, God, that we would see your provision for everything that we need as we direct our life, as we allow the direction of our life to be altered by your ideas instead of just my own. I pray that we would increase in trust and that you would be good to us. God, thank you so much for your great work. In Jesus' name, amen.
Check out what's on Slack. There's so much there. It's so good. I only got to some of it. But God bless you. Have yourself a great week. We will see you soon.